Let's cultivate our motivation. So our self-centered thought spends a lot of time and energy protecting things that are by nature impermanent. So the self-centered thought fears loss, doesn't want to lose our possessions, our body, our friends and relatives. And yet, by the very nature of things, without any third cause having to come, any other cause having to come, things change and don't remain the same. So given that they change, it makes sense for us to use them in a way that creates the causes for happiness. Because given that we're not going to be able to hold on to them forever, let's use them in a beneficial way. But the self-centered thought protests and clings trying to hold on to something as long as it can. And that clinging is what causes the pain because the separation is inevitable. Whereas when we see that things are changing changing every moment and that we won't possess them forever, then we don't cling, then we can use them in ways that benefit ourselves and others through practicing generosity and other practices as well. So let's make a strong determination not to let our self-centered thought run the show, but to let the wisdom mind make our choices so that we can create the causes of happiness, avoid the causes of suffering, lead others to do so as well so that all of us can create the causes for full enlightenment and become Buddhas. So we can really see how our wrong conception mind causes our problems, can't we? The wrong conception mind, you know, refuses to accept the nature of things, fights against it, and says, things are impermanent, but I'm going to make them permanent. I'm going to hang on to them. Things don't have any independent essence of their own, but I'm going to treat them like they do. And you can see how these wrong ideas, these wrong conceptions that we cling to, cause so much pain because... Reality eventually shines forth and then we're left with our cracked expectations. So pain doesn't have to be inherent in our life. It arises due to causes and conditions, and especially causes and the wrong conceptions as the causes and conditions. So that's why we have to identify our wrong conceptions and free ourselves of them. Someone asked a question uh, as a person in the helping professions, and I've heard this same question from other people in the helping professions, that when they're at work with their clients, they're extremely patient, extremely, you know, um, kind. They're very good listeners. They realize that the other people are upset so they don't take things personally. You know, they really put themselves out there and give of of themselves to help their clients. And, uh, you know, don't get too upset about things because they have very strongly in their mind that they're serving these other people in whatever type of helping profession it is. But, when they go home, it's almost like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll, in the sense that, you know, it's like, 
my spouse doesn't pay attention to me and my kids take me for granted and uh, these people don't listen and all they do is complain to me and they're so contrary and every little thing they do just bugs me, you know, because they're always just doing this and that and the other thing. Anybody else in helping professions have that happen? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's real easy, isn't it? So then, so then you start thinking, well, am I a little bit nuts here? <laughs> you know? Am I really being kind to my clients? How come I can't treat my own family, who at the end of the day I care much more about and have been much kinder to me than the clients? How come I can't care the same way about them? Okay. So my guess as to what is happening, you may have some other ideas, is that when you're at work, you have the idea, I am here to serve these other people. You know, my job is to listen. My job is to be patient. My job is to be kind. You know, if if I'm demanding, if I'm irascible, if I'm easily offending, you know, I'm not fulfilling my job. I won't be doing what I want to be able to do to help these people. So with that idea in mind, it becomes very easy to just let go of things because you're so focused on doing your job well because you want to do it well. Okay. But I think what happens is when you come home, you let go of that image of yourself, that identity as being, I'm here to benefit these people, and you the, assume the identity of, I'm with my family, and, you know, I'll give to them, and they better give back. <laughs> and I have a right to demand something from my family. You know? I mean, after all, we're married, so they made a vow to me, so if they're not keeping their vow, you know, I can say something about it. And I need to be told I loved, I'm loved, and I need to be cuddled, and I need to be heard, and all my blaff, you know, tension at work, I should be able to spill out on them because they are part of me. <laughs> you know, they're the people closest to me, they're part of me, so, you know, they're, they're, I mean, we're stuck with each other, we're family, so I can treat them any way they want. They're not going to go away. Where's my clients if I just let loose? Boy, they're going to go, and then where am I going to be? So we just, like, let loose. You know, self-centered mind kind of steps in there and goes, <laughs> all over these people that we care about. And I think it's simply because of how we've described to ourselves what our role is in relationship to these people. You know, the people that, that we're there to serve, this is our role, so this is how we act. Our family, this is how our role, so this is, you know, what we're entitled to do. Does it make some sense? Yeah? You know, those of us who work in the helping professions, it's the same idea, but those of us who work in the helping professions have all been through training programs. We've been taught uh, how to behave uh, with our clients. Uh, There's no training program. This is a very good point that in your profession you've been through training courses. And it's also been really emphasized to you that you must act this way. You, you know, you do not have permission to let loose on your clients. But nobody trains you to be a good spouse. Nobody trains you to be a good parent. You know, so you have all this imprint of what you saw in your family of origin that you vowed never to do when you have your own family. You know. You vow, I will never speak to my children the way my parents spoke to me. And then what comes out of your mouth? <laughs> exactly the same words your parents said to you. 
that you vowed you would never say to your kids. You know, and you don't have any training. And what's incredible, too, is we don't want any training. Yeah, I don't want any training on how to be a good spouse. I don't want any training on how to be a good parent. I just want to do it, you know. Or we don't even think of, like, being a good spouse or a good parent as something that you need to work at. Maybe being a good parent... You know, before you have your baby, you think, I really want to have a good parent, be a good parent and do something for them. But, you know, with your spouse, you never need to think, you know, I need to train how to be a good spouse. Because we think that our love is just going to carry us on forever and ever. And, of course, you know, you want, you train how to be a good spouse with the babies, right? You know? how to hold them so their heads don't tip back and how to feed them, how to burden. But do you ever go to a training course on how to have a teenager? You know? (laughs) Are there many training courses for how to be a parent to a teenager? There are? Do people actually go to them? Do they do anything but complain? Well, the ones I've been to have been very beneficial. Really? Very good. Very good. I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So uh, I think very often the people that we're closest with are the ones that we really have to practice more with. Because sometimes just by the fact that we see them every day, you know, we just assume that they're part of us and, you know, we're just kind of there with each other. That's it. And so the kind of taking for granted, taking people for granted. Yeah? There's something about the, I mean, it's so interesting to look at our self-centered mind. It's fascinating, this whole issue of when you come home, you're off. Yeah. And not that I've got this down by any means whatsoever, but it's like making a conscious choice when I pull up to like regroup again. Like, okay, yeah. I'm going in the house now. They're not going to want to hear about my day. They're going to want me. Mm-hmm. So it's then how to, it's like continuously trying to remember to set motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for like transition times, yes. It's those transition times that even like here, like transition times, mm-hmm. the mind goes away. So it's remembering during those transition times, mm-hmm. and even during the day, I can set these motivations where I'll really try to remember to set motivation, and then you know we've talked about this, and then by the end of the day, you go well. Sure didn't do that. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> you know? So it's like trying to find a way to remember yeah. timers or bells or <laughs> phone calls to each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So it's like continually trying to set the motivation. Right. I found that too, that you know, if I stop, like if I know I'm gonna be with a person that's gonna have a certain issue or somebody that's gonna be different. Are difficult if I stop and you know think about I'm going into this situation. This is the way I want to be. It's, it's it works much much better than if we're just rushed and hurried and plum we you know walk in there. So I think it's very true. You know when you when you get home before you even open the front door to pause and think. You know I'm going into see the family who I care very much about. Yeah. And these are the people who, who I cherish. And so these are the people I want to be kind to. And, and set that conscious uh, intention yeah, before opening the door. And like you said, you know, if you have kids, they're going to want attention from me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, I'm in the helping profession. And my clients generally ask for, want my help. They realize that uh, you know yeah. <laughs> you know where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
I'll just be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is another good point that when you're in a helping profession, the people come to you because they want your help. So also they have a certain attitude towards you. They respect you. They see you as an expert. They want to hear your advice. <laughs> yeah, they want to hear it, and they're willing to pay for your advice. Whereas when you go home, you're giving your advice free, and they don't even want to hear it. <laughs> you know, here's free advice. <laughs> I think it's this whole thing of really setting our intention. You know, if because if we develop the concept at work, you know, oh, I'm the expert, I can give good advice. You know, these people want to hear it. Then we have a certain kind of, you know, we relate in a certain way. And but if we take that same attitude home with us, it's a different situation. Yeah, and that, and you know, our our family isn't coming to us because they necessarily want our advice. You know, they're coming to us because they've had a hard day and they want somebody to talk to. So they want us to listen, not to advise. You know, or your kids come to you because they want to play. Yeah, they 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 don't want to learn how to. They don't want advice on this and that. They want to play with you. Okay, so things that people are coming to you with different needs than, you know, the one that you build a self-image about of, you know, oh, I'm a person who has good advice who can help people. So it really, I think it, it, a lot of it has to do with, with changing our image. And, you know, now I'm going and the way I help people is to play. The way I help people is to listen. The way I help people is to take out the garbage. The way I help people is by chopping the carrots. Yeah? So you take that, that same motivation to help, but you have to do something different. And whereas your clients, you know, they pay you, they say thank you, they come back the next week and they say that was so helpful. You know, your family doesn't necessarily do that. <laughs> yeah? But, you know, it's also saying, do we do that to our family? Yeah, when our family members listen to us, you know, when we're complaining and we just need to, you know, unload, and they listen, or when they do some extra work in the house because we're exhausted, or whatever, do we go up and say thank you afterwards? Do we go up and say, oh, you know, I really appreciated how much you listened to me, or I really appreciated your support when I was you know, talking about that? Do, do we thank our family members or do we just take their kindness for granted? Yeah. So it's not just how they behave towards us, you know, but how, how we, you know, give back to them and acknowledge what they do give to us. Yeah. And so sometimes it's the people that we live with all the time that are the people we need to take the most care with. Yeah, because those are the people we just take for granted. Those are the people that our mind complains about the most over petty, stupid things. Yeah. And so to train the mind to really see their good qualities and to comment on their good qualities and to thank them. Mm-hmm. Well, I just don't know if I would be saying this in enough space, but I was thinking about wherever we go there's that the eight worldly concerns it's like that the image doesn't draw that work the image continues with family mm-hmm. so it's just interesting how even the wanting for a good image. image yeah that wanting praise just, wanting when approval when thinking just then I just was like yeah you're just pleased and you don't have it yeah and it doesn't there's no break with that either I mean you're constantly on part of that yeah that. yeah Wanting it, craving it. And especially from our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're married. You owe me that. 
I have the certificate to prove it. <laughs> this certificate says, you are going to love me no matter what. Look at it and act that way. you had a question or comment? Well, I was just thinking, like, in the work environment, besides the training before you get in it, you actually have a lot of support in it when you kind of get off base or need help with things. Like, you have both a manager and you usually have mentoring if you Mm -hmm. put yourself in that situation. And that's really helpful because you're actually in the throes of it all and you're having support. So when you get kind of, you know, when problems come up, you're not just alone in your house with so it also brings up the question too of how much are we open to receive the help from our family you know when we're in a bad mood and our family is trying to help us do we listen? I mean, it's this thing of flipping the situation, you know? That, that you know, not only do we go home and want to give our family advice, which they don't want to hear, but when they give us advice and when they're sincerely trying to help us, do we listen or do we just get defensive? Yeah? Usually, I think now I try to listen. I was just thinking about what you said before. Um, when you're like, uh, I want, I don't want to say the same thing as my parents. Is it weird to think that I want to raise my children similarly to the way I was raised? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's weird. Because I think if you really appreciate many of the things your parents do, that you want to raise your kids in the way your parents raised you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thinking about getting help in the house, um, or you're saying you want help, or they try to help you and you reject it in some way. That for me, that's come up less with advice or talking to me about my day, but doing things around the home. And I've seen it come up here at the Abbey too. Everybody kind of has a specific way of doing things. And for myself, I've found that I get very caught up in my way of doing things. Yeah. I haven't done my way, so like if I ask you to do this, I want you to do it my way. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to clean the kitchen do it my way. So I've found, and it has been extremely helpful, is I just walk away. And the result is always what I hope for. The result, I'm always grateful for the result. And I think it's really important to recognize, too, when we're really creating unneeded um, anxiety around certain things where we're projecting, they are going to help, but we're just projecting all this us onto it because they're not doing it the right way. Da, 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 da. Right. So I find I always walk away. If I, if I need help, I'll say, can you do that? And then I have to leave. I have to leave the room. But <laughs> I can go do something else. And when I come back, whatever I want to do is done. And yeah. I have to see how it was done. So <laughs> right. Something that I found has helped my marriage. Yeah, I bet. I think this is very true that so often we ask somebody to do something and what we're asking is not just to attain that goal but to do it the way we would do it, you know. And then when they don't do it the way we do it, we get upset. And so your solution is just to walk away, do something else because at the end, the result is still the same as what you want even though they got there by a different road and you save yourself a lot of aggravation in the process of it. Yeah, and them too. Right. Yeah. 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 But it's 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 very true, and we noticed that around the Abbey. Some of the last year, some of the people did a skit about the the, it was the young adult group. Oh yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs)
one more thing. I was never in the helping professions. Thank God. Marriage and children was enough for me. But, but the thing is, when, when he has a client, this client said, oh, I had a really bad day, and I overthrew the checking account. The house payment bounced, and and I took all my lunch money and went gambling with it. Well, it's not his joint checking account that they're talking about. <laughs> you can listen to other people do completely outlandish things that if your own spouse or child did you would totally freak out because it, like you said it's your checking account or it's your house or it's your car or whatever it is yeah yeah so you see this element of I how it creeps in doesn't it I and mine is that supposed to comfort me <laughs> <laughs> just be so grateful that the things that you're hearing about in your professional life aren't happening at home. At least I hope they are. That's probably one of the reasons I'm in the profession. Um, yeah. So to remember how miserable everybody else is. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people get there by that route. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's another important point. That is very important to peop- to appreciate the people that we live with. So it's all too easy to pick at their faults, as we know. Yeah. All too easy to comment on their faults, pick on their faults, insist that they acknowledge their faults. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and yet with other people we we don't we aren't that way, you know. We, sometimes we give strangers or people we or clients people we don't know so well we give them a lot more space. Yeah. But I think with people we're close to, we almost feel like they're part of us. So especially with your kids, you know, your kids have to be really good, perfect. Yeah, they have to be everything we weren't. Whether they want, uh, they have to have everything they we didn't have, and be everything we weren't. Whether they want to have those things or not, and whether they want to be those things or not. Okay, so again, that causes a lot of grief, a lot of grief. You know, just you can see the operation of the mind, the expectation of the mind. I had one friend when he, when they had their first child, he said he was holding, you know, his, his baby girl. She was like a month or two old. And he already had her college education planned. <laughs> you know? And, and then he realized, hey, wait a minute. Now this kid has her own life that she's going to lead. I'm here to guide and support, but I can't plan out somebody's life. Okay, so shall we continue? Okay, so we were talking about verse 53, but you share and give to others all of the happiness which belongs to you. And whatever sufferings others may have, you cultivate the attitude, may they be my own. So doing this, not only with clients, but with people that we're really close to. So there's some more verses in um, Bodhicharya Vatara that I thought that pertain to this that I thought to read. So they're all in chapter 8. Okay. So Shantideva says, If I do not actually exchange my happiness for the suffering of others, I shall not attain the state of Buddhahood, and even in cyclic existence shall have no joy. Actually, there's another verse I need to read first that that actually subsumes it better. Whatever joy there is in this world all comes from desiring others to be happy. And whatever suffering there is in this world all comes from desiring myself to be happy. Okay? So this is really succinctly pointing out the faults of the self-centered mind. 
whatever joy there is in the world all comes from desiring others to be happy. So when my mind is focused on the well-being of others, yeah, then I give them joy and I'm focused on that. When they feel happy, I feel happy. I, I rejoice in their joy. I rejoice in their good qualities. Okay, And I'm also free of, you know, all this drama that my mind creates about my own situation. You know, that we were talking about how we spin and twirl around ourselves. Okay? So we're free from that when, when the mind is really genuinely involved with compassion. Again, not with keeping busy helping others so that we don't feel our, our own stuff, but because we genu- genuinely care. And whatever suffering there is in this world all comes from desiring myself to be happy. So when we have with this self-centered view, this desire for ourself to be happy, and this, this you know, self-centered view is there all day long, all day long desiring ourselves to be happy. Yeah. With every small thing that happens, we're looking out for ourselves and how we can eke some pleasure out of it. And this very that very mind causes us so much pain because that very mind that's completely swirling around, you know, how am I going to get something out of this situation? It makes us miserable now because, again, we're fighting in the reality of impermanence. We're fighting the reality of whatever's going on because we're so convinced that our needs, our wants, everything should come first. Okay? So, and in addition, you know, when we have this thing of, you know, wanting ourselves in a self-centered way to be happy, then we do so many things that are inconsiderate of others. You know, others, what we want to do, we want to do things our way, and, you know, we don't care if it inconveniences somebody else. Yeah, you're inconvenienced by what I'm doing. That's your problem. You handle it. I'm doing what I want. You know, we very often have that kind of idea. And so in the process, we create a lot of negative karma. You know, either through having a mind of coveting, covetousness or ill will, or through harsh speech, or through lying to somebody to get what we want, or creating disharmony, you know. But it all comes from this wish of, you know, I've got to protect myself and I've got to be happy before anybody else. So that mind, that self-centered mind, which pretends to be our best friend, actually is our worst enemy. And so that's that's why this verse says, whatever joy there is in this world all comes from desiring others to be happy. And whatever suffering there is in this world all comes from desiring myself to be happy. What need is there to say much more? The childish work for their own benefit. The Buddhas work for the benefit of others. Just look at the difference between them. So we're called childish sentient beings. Okay. So we childish sentient beings work for our own benefit. The Buddhas work for the benefit of others. Who's happier? Who has more joy and peace in their lives? Us or the Buddhas? Kind of clear, isn't it? Yeah. So sitting here just working for our own happiness doesn't bring us the goal that we want. And there are the Buddhas who really genuinely in their heart put others before themselves. And they have far greater happiness than we do, even though we're always, every instant, thinking how we can benefit in a situation. Does that sound extreme to you, to say that in every instant we're thinking of how we can benefit? Is your mind saying, no, no, I don't always do that? Yeah? Try, try just observing Yeah, all the time, all the time. Let's see, I want to get to the door and get my shoes and get out of the door soon because I don't want to wait for all the other people who peddle around with their shoes and take a long time to get out the door. Yeah? (laughs) So we just figure out how we can get to the door, get our shoes and get out before anybody else does. 
I mean, it's a small, tiny thing, isn't it? But just how our mind, what is it focused on? How I can get what I want. Mm-hmm. I love how often I think I'm doing something for somebody else, and then if I really look at my motivation, I'm doing that thing for that other person, so that in return, they're happier with me, or they're, they're feeling I benefit because of their happy. You know, like it's it's still even selfish motivation. Yeah. It's like, well, I'll do it to appease you so that you're less grumpy, kind of thing. You know? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm doing something nice. It's yeah. really just so I feel better about Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to do it because you really realize that person's so grumpy and you want to do something to make them feel better instead of just to, I need to relieve how my feeling bad, how awful it is that I feel when I'm around them when they're grumpy. <laughs> yeah. So really, you know, working with the motivation again and again. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't be nice to them when they're grumpy. You know, it's a good thing to do. It sure beats being mean to them. (laughs) Okay? And then comes the verse I read before. If I do not actually exchange my happiness for the suffering others, I shall not attain the state of Buddhahood, and even in cyclic existence shall have no joy. So we won't, if we don't exchange our happiness for the suffering of others, you know, how are we going to be Buddha? If we, you know, have you ever heard of a Buddha who cares more about their own self-interest than the interest of others? Have you ever heard about a self-centered Buddha? (laughs) Yeah? No. We we don't hear about a Buddha who's all stuck in in their, you know, their own self-preoccupation. You can't have a Buddha like that. So how do we think we're going to become Buddhas and at the same time hold on to our self-centered thought? It's not going to work. Okay. So not only does the self-centered thought interfere with our becoming a Buddha, but it also interferes even in cyclic existence. We won't have any well-being because it's really clear and obvious you know, that when people act out of very strong self-centeredness, They do things that disturb the peace and harmony of other people. It's very clear, isn't it? Of course, we see when others act out of self-centeredness how they disturb our peace and harmony. But what we have to train our mind to see is how when we act in a self-centered way, we disturb their peace and harmony. So it's this whole thing of looking at the effects of our actions on others, even the effects of our thoughts on others our actions originate in our thoughts. Okay? Strong verses, aren't they? Very strong. Here's some more. (laughs) If all the injury, fear, and pain in this world arise from grasping at a self, then what use is that great ghost to me? Okay? If all the injury, fear, and pain in this world arise from grasping at a self, then what use is that grace, great ghost to me? So if we look, and if all, all of our fear, all of our pain, where does it come from? Yeah, it comes from karma. It comes from afflictions, doesn't it? it? Doesn't come from the other people. It comes from karma and afflictions. Yeah, what underlies? Yeah, well, the karma comes from the afflictions. Yeah, what underlies the the afflictions? Well, the self-grasping ignorance and also the self-centered thought. Okay? So if, if all of those, you know, if the self-centered thought and the self-grasping ignorance are the cause of all my injury and fear and anxiety, what use are they to me? Yeah? It's like, it's like you know inviting a thief into your house and saying, yeah, come on in, make a mess. Yeah, take whatever you want. Mm-hmm. One time, many years ago, I, I was asked to give a talk at a high school. And there was one boy who 
think he had been raised in, in, in a, a born-again Christian kind of family because he said to me, do you guys believe in the devil? And I said, we don't think of the devil as an external being, but we think of our own self-centered mind as being like a devil in the sense that it causes happiness, unhappiness to ourselves and to others. I said, there's no external being who's going to harm us. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. It's the internal, self-centered mind, self-grasping ignorance. Those are the things that are the biggest harm. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I mean, Santi Dev is so amazing how he says something with so much meaning and so few words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this self-centered mind is driving me crazy. What uses it to me? Why do I follow it? This is nuts. I want to be happy. Why do I follow this thing that's making me unhappy? Now, if we want that—that's the epitome of being dysfunctional, isn't it? Yeah, everybody talks about dysfunctional this and dysfunctional that. Well, that's the epitome. Yeah, is when we want happiness and we create the causes of suffering and the self-centered thoughts. They're leading us to do that. If I do not completely forsake it, I shall be unable to put an end to suffering, just as I cannot avoid being burned if I do not cast aside the fire that I hold. Okay? So as long as you're holding something that's that's flaming, you're going to get burned. Okay? So it's only by completely forsaking it that we stop our own pain. So it says, if I do not completely forsake it, the self-centered mind, I shall be unable to put an end to suffering. Yeah? Because it's like holding on to a fire and saying, ah, this hurts so much, it hurts so much, and we're holding on to the fire and we're not letting go. At the same time, shrieking at the top of our lungs about how much it hurts. Hmm? Therefore, in order to allay the harms inflicted upon me and in order to pacify the sufferings of others, I shall give myself up to others and cherish them as I do my very self. Okay? And so to in order to allay the harms inflicted on me, in other words, even if somebody else is harming me, to pacify those harms, if even to pacify the harms inflicted on me by the self-centered thought, and in order to pacify the miseries of other beings, okay, then I shall give up myself to others and cherish them as I do my very self. Okay, so instead of putting myself up here and all others kind of down here somewhere, see that the only way for us to really find happiness and to, to really be able to attain Buddhahood is completely to switch that. Yeah. And instead of cherishing our own happiness more than anything else, cherish the happiness and welfare of others more than anything else. So this is easy to understand. You know, these teachings, are they're not difficult to understand. They're extremely difficult to do, aren't they? Yeah, intellectually, they're not like understanding emptiness. They're they're not difficult, complicated. Yeah, with a lot of terminology that we don't understand. Very easy to understand. Easy to do. And it's so funny, isn't it? Because we're terrified of giving up our self-centeredness. We're terrified. You know? Because the self's... Because we think if I'm not self-centered, I'm going to be miserable. If I don't take care of myself, I'm going to be miserable. I mean, that's, that's what our big fear is. If I don't get what I want, I'm going to be miserable. If I don't take care of myself, I'm going to be miserable. We're chanting this kind of mantra to ourselves all the time. If somebody does, doesn't do thing my, doesn't do it my way, I'm going to be miserable. We never open our mind to think that if somebody does something another way, it might actually be better than our way. 
We might, we don't open our mind to the possibility that if we don't get what we want, what we think we want right now, we might actually have more happiness than getting what we want. Yeah? We don't open our mind to those possibilities, but we, we have an idea and we just glom onto it and never think, you know, oh, somebody else's idea could be better. Somebody else's way of doing things might be, make it easier. Yeah? Doing, doing what somebody else wants might actually make me more happy than doing, doing what I think I want. We never think like that. You know? We just decide on something based on hardly any reason and then cling to it with all of our might. Don't you think? You know? It's like the dishes need to be washed this way. Dinner needs to be made this way. And I mean, I'm talking about petty things, but boy, we can have a really long drawn out quarrel about that. Let alone bigger things, you know, how to do a bigger project. Yeah. We never think that maybe something that isn't our thought might actually work out better or even bring us more happiness. And then we never think that it might actually bring somebody else more happiness and that it might be nicer for us if we lived with happy sentient beings than if we lived with unhappy sentient beings. Because sometimes we are so insistent on being right and on winning the argument that we don't care if the people we live with or work with are unhappy. We just want to be right and we want to win. And, you know, we should say to ourselves, like, you know, and then, of course, when we've conquered the other people, you know, because that's basically what we want to do is conquer them. Yeah, you know, and then they're miserable and then they complain and they do, you know, manipulate and do things behind our back because we've made them into, maybe we've made them powerless. Then we should think, you know, I chose to do this. Yeah. If I choose to win, I am choosing to live with a loser, with the person who lost. Because there's no way the person who lost is going to go away. They aren't going to vanish from the face of this earth. So we have to remember, you know, if I'm willing to win, I have to be willing to live with the person who lost, you know, who lost right, the argument. Yeah. If I'm going to insist on being right no matter what, then I have to accept living with a person who feels humiliated and with a person who feels wronged and a person who feels like they're not heard. You know? So it's the same thing of, you know, we're coming back to the same things, aren't we? Looking at how our actions affect others, realizing that we have a choice, realizing that it doesn't, the, the misery doesn't come from others, it comes from our own blindness. We keep coming back to these same points again and again, you know, and being willing to accept the consequences of our own action, which usually we aren't willing to. Yeah, I should be able to do whatever I want and not have any unpleasant results happen. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah? I should be able to, you know, dump my stuff on somebody else and not have any bad consequences of their feeling offended or hurt or anything. Yeah, I should be able to do that. You know, when we actually look at the way we think, the way we think is so stupid. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it's so, it's so nonsensical. It's just we don't usually stop and look at the way we think. We just think it and expect it. You know, and I mean, that's, that's the M.O. of the self-centered thought. Yeah. I should be able to win the argument, humiliate this person, and have them love me all at the same time. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Not gonna work. Okay, so this is, um, you know, what Shanti Devi is talking about here is 
not only, you know, these teachings, they apply to our life right now, and we can think of manifold examples of how to put these into practice right now. But, and that's good, and we need to do that, because if we don't put them into practice, then we act out of our afflictions of self-centeredness, and we create a ton of negative karma. Okay. But at the same time, our motivation for putting these things into practice should not be just so that I can have a happier life. Okay? Yeah, we should really have the intention, I'm going to put this into practice because I want to become a Buddha for the benefit of sentient beings. And a byproduct of that is having a happier life and getting along better with people now. But just having a happier life shouldn't be our main motivation because if we have a motivation that's for the happiness of this life only, that's the only result that will be the fruition of our actions. If we have a motivation for the long-term enlightenment of ourself and others, then the merit we create doesn't get exhausted until we're enlightened. You know, the merit keeps building and building and building. Okay? So according to what our motivation is, that's the kind of result we want. So we might practice these same techniques and act the same way with our friends or colleagues or family. But depending upon what our motivation is for practicing these techniques, in the long term we're going to get different results. Because if we just are trying to have a happier life this time, we'll get that by practicing this. But then the results will cease at the end of that. If we're practicing these techniques with the aspiration for full Buddhahood, you know, the merit we create is never going to run out. Okay? Because we're, we're looking at that long-term goal. Okay? Any comments or questions? Yeah. You've said this a number of times. Today you made it very clear. <laughs> I'd like you to say more. You say never. And then today you said, in every instant, we're seeing how I can benefit. Every instant. And you said that a number of times. Like, we never think. That's like, it's so big. I mean, is that what you really see? <laughs> when I look at my own mind and my own behavior, yep, that's what I see. You know, every, I, well, I watch how I eat lunch, okay? I put the things on my spoon or fork that I think are going to bring me the most happiness in that bite. <laughs> you know what? Why do you put... You know, and, and you, you see, you know, you, you have a spoon. I won't say who. Uh, we know each other very well here. You know, kind of mix it together, and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then. Because that's the right mix you know, of exactly the amount of potato plus carrot plus, you know, whatever that soupy stuff was, plus, you know, exactly that, right, that amount is going to give me happiness, you know, and we arrange that bite exactly for that purpose. And then while we're chewing that, we totally space out. We don't pay any attention at all to the cessation of that because we're busy planning the next one. You know, a little bit of carrot, you know. This time I want raw carrot and some some salad. And I'll get that gravy out of here. I don't belong in the salad. And just like that, trying to be happy. You know, you watch at the lunch, lunch line. I won't say who. <laughs> and this is why we now have, you know, as of yesterday or the day before, a new Abbey policy of you only put two, two times. I noticed I did something three times. <laughs> because I 
wanted a piece of cantaloupe and two strawberries, and I couldn't get, I couldn't do it all in two spoonfuls. <laughs> you know, but, but we watch. You know, and it's like, okay, what the, oh, that piece of tofu, that one looks good. And you get your little, you know, that piece of tofu. And um, I don't like the way they cut that carrot. <laughs> the, the way they cut this that carrot. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> And then we make sure we have the right amount. All the time, just looking how we can be happy. How we fold the towels. Whether we fold the towels. (laughs) Folding the towels causes me so much suffering. I'm not going to do it. I'll just leave it and somebody else will come along and fold it. Right? I won't say who does that. You know. (laughs) Are you volunteering? (laughs) You know what I what causes me tremendous suffering. What I hate to do is I hate to vacuum stairs. So I will do anything to get out of that. I'm real good at it, too. (laughs) Getting out of it, not at doing it. (laughs) Because it's just too much suffering to back back your stairs. So I'm just curious, in this example of how we're eating to satisfy our own pleasure, how can we transform that into eating for the benefit of others? Yeah. Well, this is the the uh, contemplations we do at the beginning, the first five contemplations, to actually contemplate them, you know, instead of saying them, but to actually think of them. You know, this is wondrous food to nourish my body. Why am I nourishing my body? So that I can practice the Dharma, so that I can do kind things, extend kindness to others, you know. I contemplate this food with the aim of Buddhahood. That's my long-term purpose, why I'm keeping my body alive. It's not just because I want to be alive and I'm afraid of death, but I want to use this life in a valuable way. Okay? So really, by thinking like that, and then when we're eating, thinking that we're making offering to the Buddha, thinking of the Buddha at our heart and making offering. When you were talking about that, the motivation to be the Buddha for benefit others is that the ultimate yeah. motivation yeah Nothing better than that. It's actually to become a, a Buddha for the benefit of all sentient beings it's not just others, it's also for ourselves okay mm-hmm. I was just curious what is, it, what is the policy well, what is the monastic policy that you take, or is it for all of us that we take What what I started to see is when we have a lot of people here, sometimes the lunch line, and we only have one line, we don't have two lines, it can take a long time. So I suggested the other day that we all kind of train our minds that you only get two scoops of whatever dish it is, and if it's not enough, then you come back later for seconds because that way the lunch line will move very quickly. Whereas, you know, if we're sitting there with, you know, picking out each piece of lettuce and each this and that, then, you know, all these other people are waiting behind us. Yeah, so I suggested also as a mindfulness practice, you know, can we do this? Quantity though is quality, so we're just going to take two scoops, so we're going to take twice as long to make sure that. We're <laughs> 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 so you're saying we're just going to take our time and make sure that one scoop. <laughs> yeah. You were watching me. 
pee yesterday. That's what I did. <laughs> yes? So, Venerable, I really want to go back to Tarpa's question. In every instant, we never think of others. I mean... I, 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 I can believe that fairly much about myself. There are a few instances where I don't believe it about myself. I surely don't believe that about you. <laughs> I, mean, I get the whole lunch thing, and I, I mean, I believe that. <laughs> something small like lunch, I'm going to do it for other things that are bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but every instant, I mean, even going back to, you know, what Sandy said um, this morning, uh, where she kind of implied that suddenly, you know, if you look out the window and you see this child is about to get hit by a car, mm-hmm. you don't, I mean, very possibly, you might think, but you might not think, you might just move. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, like, we have that in us. Too. Yeah, we do. We do have that in us. And yeah. would you say, I mean, if our nature is good in nature, isn't that even in some way wired into us, along with all the wacko stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly there's a, compass- a compassionate instinct. There's a kind instinct. That's very clear. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, as a species, we wouldn't be able to survive. Would we? And, and well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, that's also there. But, you know, and so it doesn't mean that, that the self-centeredness always wins out. But when we're not watching, when we're not careful, it's the default mode. It's, yeah, it's the default mode. Yeah. So, back to lunch. pleasure than, you know, thinking that you're eating for the benefit of sentient beings. Okay. So the question is, isn't there kind of something that happens between one and the other? <laughs> Some, isn't there a learning curve <laughs> that you go through? Yes, clearly, there's a learning curve. Yeah, there's got to be. I mean, this is a thing of training our mind. We're always training. It's a thing of training. Yeah, that's why we say practice dharma. That's why we're trainees. Okay, we're not expected to get it all right and have it be all good, you know. But we're training the mind. We're over time, and I think some people are agitating for 
Let us see you. So, the people who have questions, maybe if you could just save them for next time, write them down so you don't forget them. But it's good to watch, you know, when we're, you know, we got that perfect bite and we put it in our mouth, do we even pause to taste it? Yeah, so, you know, you said that's so much more pleasurable than eating for the benefit of thinking for sentient beings. But how much are you actually tasting your food when you're busy planning the next bite? 